Have you ever found something that you really loved? I mean, you just thought it was amazing. And then you try to pass it along to somebody else and they don't like it. And you just, you're saying, what is wrong with you? How do you not get it, right? How do you not get how amazing this is? I grew up kind of split back and forth between Texas and California. So some of you know I spent a lot of my youth as an In-N-Out evangelist, uh, spreading the good news of In-N-Out Burger in the foreign land of Texas. And, uh, you know, I I would share my excitement. And then sometimes I would come across people that they were like, eh. And I'm like, what? What is wrong with you? One time I had somebody say to my face, I would rather eat a Whopper from Burger King than a double-double from In-N-Out. I almost expired right there on the spot. Couldn't breathe um, in response to that. But another thing that I'm excited and passionate about is I I love encouraging people, if they can, to go visit the country of Israel, to go there and and see it for themselves, to see all the biblical history. And and one of the reasons I love it, and as soon as, you know, the world gets its act together again, we'll plan a trip for our our church to go there. Uh, One of the reasons why I love it is when you go there and you see, it makes the scriptures come alive. And you're walking around and you wonder, man, how could somebody come here, see all of these things, just like the Bible says that they are, all these places, just like the Bible describes them? How can they see that and still think that this is just a bunch of fairy tales? How is that possible? Well, today we're going to go one step farther than that, and one giant step farther than that, is to think of the people who saw Jesus, right? There were people that they listened to his teaching with their own ears. They saw him do miracles. They ate the bread and the fish that Jesus miraculously multiplied. They saw Lazarus walking down the street, and yet they still didn't believe. How in the world is that possible? How could people actually see Jesus, hear Jesus, experience all that he had done, and not believe in him? That's really the question that the Apostle John is going to answer today. So let's take our Bibles and open them up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we're going to finish the chapter today. And whether we're thinking about it in the life of Christ or we're thinking about it now, man, how can people... How can people look out at a sunrise like this morning and think it just happened? How can people not believe? And whether you're here as a Christian and you're asking that question, or whether you're here and you're still trying to figure all this out and make sense of what the Bible says and who Jesus is, I want to invite all of us to dig into the answers that are going to be provided in God's Word today. And so let me start there in the middle of verse 36, John 12 the middle of verse 36, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. 
Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So here, as we look at this passage, what we're seeing is really John thinking about some things at the end of Jesus's public ministry, because that's what's going on here. Next week, we're getting into chapter 13. It's the Last Supper. It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And the only thing we're going to see from Jesus in crowds again is a few words at his trial, a few words on the cross. But the public teaching phase of Jesus's ministry is over. And at the end of all of that, John is kind of making some sense of it and saying, hey, even after all of this, all these miracles that I've written about that Jesus did, all the sermons that I've recorded that Jesus gave, even at the end of all that, they didn't believe him. How could that possibly be? People that saw Jesus turn water into wine, that saw him heal the lame and open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead, they didn't believe. How is that possible? And I th- he gives us some answers here. So point number one, let's put it down this way. Understand why many don't believe. Understand why many don't believe. And then we're going to look at three reasons that John gives. And many of these reasons we're going to see are not just true back then. They're, they're true today. And first thing that he does as he has this conversation is he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes specifically Isaiah 53. And that's a passage we turned to last week. We looked at it in depth, how it talks about God's servant will be lifted up. He's going to be exalted, but it also made clear he's going to suffer. He, he is going to be rejected. And that's really what, ver, that, what the quote there is, verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. It's saying a lot of people aren't going to listen to this servant that's going to come and suffer. And even notice the first two words of verse 38. It says, so that the word may be fulfilled. It's saying, hey, why do so many people not believe? Well, reason number one, so that prophecy might be fulfilled. People rejected him because that's what God said would happen. First reason we see why many don't believe is It's God's plan. That's the first thing I'd encourage you to write down at those little dashes underneath point one. It's God's plan. And so as soon as we start talking like that, we got to realize we're diving into the deep end of the theological pool here. And we start wondering, well, how does this work out? And one thing we always have to remember when we're thinking through these things is that God's ways are higher than our ways. 
And you're like, how could God's plan include people rejecting Christ? If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, there's a whole lot of things that we wouldn't do, including if, if you and I were calling the shots, there would be no suffering servant, right? It was part of God's plan that the Messiah would suffer. And aren't we grateful that he did? Because why did he suffer? Why does Isaiah 53 say he suffered? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. We are the sheep that have gone astray and it's upon him that God laid all of our sin. So God has a plan that definitely doesn't go how you and I would draw it up, but it is a masterful plan that included a suffering Messiah and the Messiah couldn't suffer if he was not rejected. And this was a part of God's plan. And as scripture wrestles with this topic, we see the apostle Paul, especially thinking very deeply about what is going on even with the nation of Israel. How is it that this nation has missed their Messiah? And he reflects on that. I want us to turn, we're going to go here a couple different times this morning, go to Romans chapter 9. And really Romans chapter 9 through 11 is the apostle Paul wrestling with this question. How is it that the Messiah has come, but even now after the fact, the Jews have rejected their Messiah? And even look at the persecution that the apostle Paul faces. Most of it doesn't come from the wicked Roman Empire. Most of it comes from the Jewish people and the Jewish religious leaders. And so he's wrestling with these questions. And let's go to chapter 11. We'll come back and look at some things in 9 and 10 later. And Paul asks a very serious question. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected the people of Israel? And he comes to a quick answer, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so Paul has to start his question saying, no, God hasn't rejected Israel because, hey, I'm here. I'm an Israelite. I'm following Christ. And just like the time of Elijah, when Elijah thought, I'm all alone, God said, no, you're not. I've, I've kept a remnant of people that are faithful to me. But then he goes on to even talk about this being part of God's plan. That, that most of the Jewish people rejecting the Messiah, that was part of God's plan. And then he starts going out and, hey, Gentiles, don't uh, get too high on your horses about this. Jump down to verse 25. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this was part of God's plan that the, the Israelites, the Jewish people would reject their Messiah. And as a part of that, God is opening it up to, to the world and the Gentiles will come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And that's another sermon for another time. But I believe when we look at even the Old Testament promises and we look especially at things in Revelation, God has a plan for the, the future of the people of Israel. 
And God is going to do a massive work of revival amongst Jewish people. But we see God has a plan even for this nation of Israel. And after Paul gets into kind of these deep theological waters in Romans 9 through 11, look at where he ends. Verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so we see even as Paul wrestles with his nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, I do think we see some things that we can learn even as we think about our own nation, which again, there's not a one-to-one comparison between the United States of America and Americans to the Jewish people and all the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But we can look out at our nation and say, man, hearts look harder. The, The world looks darker and the direction that it's headed does not look good. And we should not rejoice in that. That's a sad, sad thing. But we should also, as Christians, be able to step back and say, whatever is going on, God has a plan. Even over the hardness of people's hearts, God is in control of that. And what is that plan? Well, when you let me, when you figure it out, please let me know. I mean, I don't know all that God is up to. And I don't think you do either. But when it is revealed, when we do understand what God is doing in America in 2020 and 2021, you know what we're going to say? Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's what we're going to say. But God is in control. His ways are higher than our ways. Even when it's, how, how is this the plan? We can trust that God is in control and we will worship him. Now, if you're back in, in John 12, he quotes Isaiah 53, and then he kind of goes one step further in verse 39. He says, therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So we see one of the, another reason they couldn't believe is they were blind. And even it goes so far with saying he has blinded their eyes, that God has blinded their eyes. So second reason why so many don't believe is blind eyes, blind eyes. And again, we start to, to squirm here because we start saying, well, God's blinded them and, and God is sovereign, but we're still responsible. How does that all work? And I want to, this is, we've talked about this several times going through the gospel of John, that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus himself has no problem putting both of those things right next to each other. That doesn't cause them to spin out in any circles of how does it work? It's just, hey, God is sovereign. You are responsible. Deal with it. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what John is saying right here, because we're even going to see saying they couldn't believe. And in a minute, Jesus is going to be rebuking people for not believing. That's what we see here in scripture. But we do have to think, okay, how do we understand these things biblically as much as we can? 
And I think one thing we should understand, there is not one person, not then, not now, not ever, there will never be anyone that says, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I want to follow him. And God says, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're not chosen. That's not how it works. Jesus even said, hey, anyone that comes to me, I am not going to cast out. That is a fictional hypothetical situation. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the problem isn't that people are going to be rejected when they call. The problem is they're not going to call. And they're not going to call because they are blind. And even if you read any commentary on this passage, you're probably going to come across this phrase, a judicial hardening. That even the blindness that they're experiencing and the hardness that they're experiencing is a consequence even that God is bringing upon them. That this blindness of eyes and a hardness of heart that unbelievers experience, it's a very cooperative process. Is God involved in that? Scripture says yes. But does that mean that this is just passively happening to them? Absolutely not. Even one example we're going to see, if you're reading through the Bible with us, we're going to get into Exodus this week, and you're going to see this with Pharaoh. And after several of the plagues, sometimes it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And other times you're going to see it say, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, how does that work? I guess it's, it's cooperative. And God isn't doing anything in their hearts that, that they're not freely all about, right? That when people are hard and blind and they reject God, often God gives them what they want. And it's, a, it's kind of like a, a judge saying, hey, your sentence is more blindness. If that's what you want, that's what I am going to give to you. And many of the people, they did not have eyes to see and, and God gave them over to that. And this whole thought about blind eyes, this should not be hypothetical to any of us because everyone in the room, if, if you're not blind right now, if, if God has opened your eyes, that's what happened. You used to be blind, right? I, I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. That's the most famous hymn that we, they even still sing at inaugurations, right? Amazing grace. But we have to realize that was us too, and one passage that puts it so well that I refer to often is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, or verse 4, it says, In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So now we've got a third person involved. Not only are unbelievers responsible for their own blindness, and not only is God sovereignly involved in that process, the God of this world, the devil, he's involved in that too. Blinding people to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are saved, it's because at some point God flipped the lights on. God opened your eyes so you could see the truth of the gospel for what it was. Do you remember when that happened? I remember when that happened for me. I was just going about my business. It was just another Monday in January of 1998. But all of a sudden, somebody was talking about the gospel, and all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute, he's talking about me. I'm the sinner that needs to respond and give my life to Christ. I was blind, but that day, I could see, because God opened my eyes. And so we see that's, that's one of the problems 
here, their eyes are blind. But going back to John 12, again, we, we see, is God involved? Absolutely. But look at verse 41. Very interesting verse. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, that second quote from Isaiah is from Isaiah chapter 6, which is a very famous chapter in the Bible. It's where he sees the vision of God seated on the throne and his glory and the angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he falls on his face, right? And it's saying, hey, he saw his glory talking about Christ. Isaiah's vision, he was seeing the glory of Christ. But really, that's the vision that we all need. We need God to open up our eyes to the same realities that Isaiah saw, that God is holy, that we are sinful, and that Jesus is the Savior. That's what we need our eyes open to. That's what the world needs their eyes open to. But moving on, we see a problem in this one. You know, the other ones get us thinking about God and his role. This one, John's clearly holding people responsible for their own unbelief. Look at verses 42 and 43. It talks about many of the authorities even believe Christ, but they don't acknowledge that. They don't confess that because they're afraid. They don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, which is what the Pharisees were threatening to do. And then verse 43 puts it very painfully, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Hey, these people, they didn't believe because they loved the wrong thing. The third reason there I want you to put down is wrong desires. That's another reason why people don't believe even still today, because they have wrong desires. And even one of Jesus's most famous parables is the parable of the four soils, right? First, the, the seed comes along the path and the birds snatch it up. And then the, the seed is thrown on the rocky soil and it shoots up. But because it's rocky soil and there's not a root, as soon as the sun comes out, it dies. And then there's the, th the seed on the thorny soil, which starts bearing fruit, but the, the thorns choke out the life and, and it dies. And then there's the good soil that yields fruit. And I think we're seeing the different soils right here in this passage. The people that it's just, they're blind and they're hard. That's like the, the, the seed that falls along the path. And it doesn't even penetrate. It just like bounces right off. And the, the birds, they come and snatch it away. But then there's the rocky soil. And we see, or maybe even the thorny soil, where these people, they're hearing, they're tracking, but there's something else that's choking away the life. And here it says that they love the wrong thing. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. While I think we're going to see more persecution in this country, eventually, I don't think right now we're at a point that most of these people were at. We're saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It would have had very sudden and serious consequences. They would have instantly been an outcast. Where if some of you today were to say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to finally confess Jesus Christ is Lord. There'd be lots of people in your life that are saying, hallelujah, we've been praying for you for years. Welcome aboard, right? That'd be a very different response for many of us than what they experienced here. But I think we still have to see how many times there's these wrong desires that choke out the truth of the gospel. That there are many people, some people probably right here today, some people all over this country, that if you say, hey, is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? Did he die on the cross? Did he rise again? They're going to say, yeah, I believe all of that. But the problem is there's something else that they love more. And they're not willing to admit that. Or they're not willing to follow that 
because there's something else that's choking the life out of that. Maybe some sin that they can't give up or it describes the thorny soil and Jesus explains it. It's the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life that choke it out. And many people today, they admit that it's true, but their whole life is wrapped up in the deceitfulness of riches and all this temporary stuff. There's people today like the rich young ruler who he had no problem believing what Jesus was saying, but he didn't want to give up his wealth to follow Christ. So we see all those things in the Bible and we see all of those things here today. That many people, they love the wrong thing. Even though they know it's, it's true, they're not willing to acknowledge it because there's something that's holding them back. So that sheds some light on, hey, how could people not believe in Jesus back then? How could people not believe in Jesus today? Well, how do we respond to that? Let's look at this next paragraph, verses 45 to the end of the chapter. And you see it's back, it says, and Jesus cried out, which is interesting because verse 36 said that Jesus departed and, and hid himself. So is he now in the private of some room crying out? What, what's going on here? I think in many ways you see John, this is, he's wrapping up Jesus's public ministry. And Jesus, as a traveling preacher, probably said the same things a lot of different places. And even he's not really saying anything in this passage that we haven't already seen him say in John. I think that what John is probably doing is summarizing a lot of what Jesus was saying that last week of his life. What he was crying out and saying, now he's gone to the private, but this is what Jesus was saying that last week of his life. So point number two, let's write it down and then we'll talk more about it. We need to heed the final public call of Jesus. We need to listen to the last words that Jesus is going to say to the masses, to the crowds of people that, that won't believe. And I want to speak directly to those of you that are either here today or those of you that are watching online right now or in the future. Hello from January 2021. Uh, whatever, wherever you might be, I want to speak directly to those of you that you're still on the fence about this. You don't know what you think about Jesus. Or maybe if you think, yeah, I think it's true. You have not given your life to follow Christ. And you're still in that camp of, of unbelief or I'm in belief, but there's something else that I love. And I want to point you to the importance and the urgency of Jesus's words right here in this passage. Look at how he starts and how he ends. Verse 44, he says, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus is making clear, this is not about me. It's about my father. It's about the one who sent me. And he ends on that same topic in verse 49 for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. And if you're not sure what to think about this, you need to realize at least what the Bible is straight up saying is that this is, Jesus is not some man. Hello? Uh, Jesus is not some man giving his opinion that this book isn't just ideas of men, that this is the word of God. And that if you're ignoring what Jesus says, you're ignoring the very words of God. So if you're still on the fence, realize, hey, this isn't me talking. This is God talking to you. Maybe that's why the speakers are going crazy right now, because he doesn't want you listening to what I'm saying, to what he is trying to say to you right now in this moment. 
So first thing I want you to write down there under point number two is believe the words of God. Believe the words of God. These aren't my ideas. These aren't just Jesus's ideas. This is what God is saying. And I want you to have even some urgency. If you know, hey, I'm undecided about this. I want you to have some urgency about this today. It's amazing as a pastor, I talk to so many people, even who will be up front with me and they'll say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying this yet. I don't know if I'm into it yet. And I talk to them and sometimes I'll ask, what is it that's holding you back? And a lot of them, it's amazing how just kind of laid back they are about it. Yeah, I don't know, right? And they're in no hurry to figure it out. Well, if that's you today, I want to put some urgency in your mind. Figure it out. This is not nothing that we're talking about here today. And even look at the words that Jesus says, starting in verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What does that mean? Where he's like, well, I'm not judging, I'm saving, but you will be judged. What's going on? Well, let's return to analogy we talked about last week where you're, you're in a burning building. You're on some upper story in a burning building. And let's add one wrinkle to that analogy this week. Let's say you started the fire, okay? So you're in a building that's going up in flames because of something that you did and you're there and the fireman has ascended from his truck on the ladder and he is there at the window to bring you to safety. What he's saying to you in that moment is, hey, I didn't come up this ladder to judge you for starting this fire. I'm here to save you. But if you don't listen to me, if you don't come to me, you're going to have a judge. This building is going down. This building is, is going to burn. And if you don't listen to me, you're going to burn too. And I'm not pushing you into that. I'm not judging you for starting the fire. I'm here to save you. I think that's what Jesus is saying to you today. If you've not put your faith in him, he's saying, you're in a building that's going up in flames. And here I am. Here is the good news. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to save you. But if you ignore me, you're going to have a judge. In fact, my own words are going to come back to judge you. And again, like we talked about last week, many of you, many people are sitting in, in the building going up in flames just being like, yeah, I'm going to think about that. Well, what is there to think about? And if there is something to think about, go think about it. Don't just say, eh, you know, if I ever get around to it, it's going up in flames. You need to know what you think about this. And you need to understand that you don't know when your life is going to end. And as we've already seen, God blinds people's eyes, hardens their hearts. And as you sit there with a hard heart, how do you know that it's not going to be this week that God says, you, you want to have a hard heart? You want to have blind eyes? Here you go. I'm going to give you what you want. Think about what Jesus is saying and think about it today. This is an urgent thing. And what about those of us who, who are, who have said, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I want to follow him. He is the savior and I'm the sinner who, who needs him. Well, I want to make sure that we don't view this passage today with a kind of academic disinterest of, hmm, that's an interesting question. Why do people not believe in Christ? That's not just something that should engage our heads. It's something that should engage our hearts. Recently, I was watching some shows with my daughter that were documentaries on the Titanic and even just recent things and technologies that have allowed them to learn more 
about it, you know, where they've scanned the whole thing and it's like digitally they can drain all the water from the ocean to see the, see the vessel as it's there sitting now for over 100 years on the floor of the ocean. And, and, you know, they start to learn, well, you know, hey, how did the ship break apart? And then, you know, which side sunk faster and how big is the debris field and all these other questions. And now it's, it's all kind of interesting. And even we want to find, you know, this relative is looking for this lost relic from this family. And we think we know where that stateroom is and we're going to go in and try to find it. And a hundred years later, these are very interesting things to talk about. Now I want you to imagine a group of people sitting on the deck of the Titanic as it's going down, having these same conversations. So how big do you think that iceberg was? You know, how, what do you think? How big is the gash in the hole? We talking five meters? We talking 10 meters? How many minutes do you think we got? And then if the ship breaks apart, what's your money on? Which side's getting to the floor of the ocean quicker, right? How ridiculous would it be for people to just be sitting back, having that conversation while the ship is going down? And I want to make sure as Christians, that's not how we are with this world. That the ship is going down and God has given us a message. Look again at verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that ever, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven, he's made it clear who is the light of the world. You are. The church is. And then he talks about in verse 50, I know that his commandment is eternal life. Who now has the responsibility to tell the world about the good news of eternal life? It's us. It's the church. So the second thing I want you to write down there is proclaim the light of salvation. That's, that's what God wants us to do. And while there is a lot of theology that we can learn from this passage that I think is important, we need to make sure that this isn't just some, you know, academic thing for us. You know, that we're just sitting back, hmm, yeah, why don't people believe? That's something that should engage our hearts. And that's why I want us to go back to Romans 9 through 11, where we see Paul, I think, in greater depth than anyone in really in the pages of scripture, wrestle with some intense questions. This whole, hey, God is sovereign, we're responsible. How does that work out? Hey, this whole, what's going on with the nation of Israel and the Gentiles? Uh, things that people are still talking about. But look at the heart that he has behind that discussion. Go to the beginning of verse, or chapter nine. Go to the beginning of Romans nine. He starts off, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul isn't coming to this and kind of, huh, why has Israel rejected their Messiah? And then get to the end and say, hmm, that's interesting. No, he starts at saying, man, I'm torn up about this. I have sorrow in my heart about this. And if I could trade places with them, I would. We need that same heart with our own nation. Because it's, it's easy to look out at what's going on in our world and, and roll our eyes, right? I mean, I've even found literally on my phone, like that eye roll emoji, it's like creeping its way up into my favorites, right? <laughs> Because what else are you supposed to do when somebody sends you a, a video of somebody in Congress praying and saying, 
amen and ah woman. I mean, what other emoji is there to respond with, right? Because it's ridiculous and get ready for a lot more where that came from. But here's the thing. If that's our only response, if our only response is eye rolling, we're missing God's heart in all of this. Yeah, there's going to be eye rolling, but there should also be hearts breaking. We should be looking out at our culture and say, God, I'm torn up by what's going on. I, I have sorrow that I can't deal with because of what's going on. And if I could trade places with them, I would. That's the heart that we should have. Not one of disinterest, not just one of academics, but one that really cares deeply about the lostness in the world around us. And we know, go to chapter 10 now. It's amazing how even God, Paul in all of this through the Holy Spirit is kind of saying, hey, a lot of this, it's up to God. He also makes clear, hey, guess what? It's up to you too. Look, look at chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. But then look at verse 14 in chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Hey, how are people going to believe in Jesus Christ if they haven't heard about him? And how are they going to hear about him, frankly, if we don't tell them? And how many people are right here in the Treasure Valley that have never heard the gospel? Sure, people have heard the name Jesus. They've heard about the Bible and God. How many of them have never really had it explained to them like you have, like I have? Well, we need to realize that's, that's our responsibility. We're not just going to sit here and talk while the ship goes down. We've got work to do. And we have the only way of salvation. We need to be proclaiming the light of salvation. And I hope that we're all sent out today with even just a greater burden on our hearts. That this whole problem of unbelief is not just something that's interesting to talk about. It's, it's the real world that's going on all around us. It's going on even right here in this room this morning. And so I pray that God engages all of our hearts more and that we see God open the eyes of the blind as we are faithful to proclaim the light of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know, Lord, that there is joy and hope and life that comes through Jesus Christ. But today, God, I even want to pray that you would increase our burden, that you would even just increase our sorrow over the lost world around us. God, and even as we look at our nation and it just seems to be like the Titanic, increasing speed toward the bottom of the ocean, God, that we wouldn't just be frustrated and that our motives, it wouldn't just be, God, that, that we don't like what's happening or we don't like how it will affect us. God, may our hearts truly break over the lost that are around us, God, and give us more of the heart of Paul that, that loves the people in the culture around us. God, that wants to see them saved and that even, Lord, while we know it's not how it works, God, if we could trade places with them, we would, God, that you would give us that kind of burden and passion for them to know the truth. 
So God, even one thing, God, I pray that we would spend a lot more time praying about this, God, that even more of our prayers would be consumed not just with us and and our own temporal anxieties, but that more of our prayers would be consumed by the eternal souls of the people around us, God, and that we'd be begging you for their hearts, God, to open their eyes, to soften their hearts, that we'd be seeking opportunities to, to shine the light of Jesus Christ in front of them. Lord, hear our prayers. God, may we come to you humbly and with sorrow, begging you, God, to pour out your grace and your mercy on just the many around us that do not believe. I pray, God, if there's people here today that are in that camp, that they would have a sense of urgency. They wouldn't just view this passively. They'd realize Jesus is saying something to them. And more than just saying something, he is offering them through his grace and mercy, eternal life, God. I pray that they would respond today. God, give us opportunity to to spread the good news of Jesus Christ this week. And we pray this in his name. Amen.